It's good to be with you. I'm so glad you're here. And I mean that, I mean that sincerely. Glad to see your faces here this morning. Now, we're in a series called The Red Sea Rules. And there's this book written by a guy by the name of Robert Morgan. And I believe the bookstore, I was noticing they were putting some on display. And if you'd like to get a copy of this book, it's a nice little book. I like books that are small that I can hold in my hand. And it's very practical and very helpful. And the reason I chose to do this series is because this book really has had an impact on my life and and, the, and just the principles that uh, that uh, Robert Morgan is using here in Exodus 14 really have encouraged me to look at how I address my problems. How do I handle failure? How do I deal with a tough day or a tough week or a tough time? And, you know, because I desperately want to not just be overwhelmed and just live under the circumstances. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to just live under the circumstances. I want to live above them. I want to be able to grow from them. And so uh, this series, I think, is really appropriate right now uh, as we look at um, how does God use problems and what do we do when we face a tough moment, a tough situation, hard news, tough news. How does God turn that around? How can He use that? You know, Jesus one time said, in this world you will face trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so he's saying, I can help you overcome the things you're struggling with and help you not just endure and get through it, but be better because of it. And then last week we talked about this. We talked about how here in Exodus, the book of Exodus means to get out or the exit. When I see an exit sign, I think of Exodus. And that's what God did. He took his people out of exodus, out of slavery, out of suffering. They cried out to God, Lord, help us. And finally, God, in His time, sends a guy named Moses. And over a million Jews are led out of Egypt, led out of something bitter into something better. And that's really what God is doing. That's what the cross is about. Getting us out of something that's just awful into something that's awesome. Something wonderful. And that's what really being with God after we die, being with Christ after we die, is to be in His presence, to share, the Bible would say, in His glory. And I know sometimes, you know, it it just seems like uh, God leads us to trouble. Is God a troublemaker? Yeah. And He makes trouble sometimes in our lives. He disrupts us. You know, sometimes the only time I'll ever move is when I'm uncomfortable. Anybody else like that? You finally move around in bed after you're, you know, you're trying to find that comfortable spot. Or in order for God to get us to move sometimes, we have to have something that just either annoys us or messes with us or it's inconvenient or it's shocking. It finally makes us move. I've seen hard-hearted men that are just, I mean, you think there's no way in the world they're ever going to see themselves and change their ways. And then they have a heart attack or they're diagnosed with a disease or they lose a loved one or they hit a brick wall in some emotional way and all of a sudden they're open to God God sent that to them and you could probably think of moments when you know I don't know how I got here I I didn't really do anything I just ended up here God brought you there for a reason well I was you know pretty comfortable and maybe that's why God brought you there and we learned last week that God brings us sometimes to trouble he leads us to trouble he led the children of Israel out of Egypt hairy gnarly ugly awful Egypt into an ambush, into a place where there's mountains on each side, a churning ocean or sea in in front of them, and the only way out is to turn around and it's too late because here comes the Egyptian army. So they're trapped. Who brought them there? God said, I want you to camp there. Who come up with this idea? Moses, was it you? Uh, No, 
It was God. God said, go this way. And that's why we're here. One of the best words that I love in Exodus 14, after God commands them to go and camp, and they're near the Red Sea, it says, so the Israelites did what God said. They went. They cooperated. They trusted His leading. I don't know where you are. I don't know everybody's issues right now. But would you consider maybe God's led you there for a reason, and it's a good reason? Maybe it's to wake you up. I've heard this term, woke. Are you woke? You know, Maybe it's to wake you up about something. About some deep-seated stronghold or attitude or sin that you're just not, you're refusing to deal with. You've got everybody fooled, but God isn't fooled by it. He goes, no, we're going to put you here until you fess up and deal with it. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe He's just trying to change you. Not just change your mind or change your heart about something or bring something out, but He's trying to shape you and do some adjusting in your life to make you even more godly to uh, develop your character. Now that's what we learned a little bit last week. And we touched on something that I want to talk about today because there's another reason that God leads us into trouble. Same reason He led these people, His people that He dearly loved, into this critical moment by the Red Sea. It says here in Exodus 14, up here on the screen, if you want to look along or in your notes, Pharaoh will think, after he tells them where they're going to camp, he says, now listen, Pharaoh is going to think this. The Israelites are wandering around in the land of confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God leads His people into an impossible situation. Like I said before, they're hemmed in. They can't get out of it. There's no escape. At least it appears that way. That there's no way out. Why? He wants something to be shown. He wants something to be experienced. And it's His glory. His glory. He says, I will gain glory for myself. I want you to know right off the bat this morning, and I'm going to try to remember to remind you at the end of this, God will be glorified with or without your cooperation. He is going to be glorified. You see people who are cooperating with God and people that are not cooperating with God, and He was glorified by both. You just decide how you want God's glory to be revealed in your life. I would suggest you don't want to be revealing God's glory like the Egyptians, okay? You might want to think about that. It's not good, okay? But that's what He's doing. And how does He want to reveal His glory? How does He want us to experience His glory? How does He want to show His glory? Through something tough. Through something hard. Because it seems like God best displays His glory in the worst things. If you think about it, The moments that God shined His brightest were in those toughest moments. From an empty tomb. From a boat and a flood. From a woman that couldn't have children. God shows up and you see His glory. Not just revealed, but these people experiencing this glory. God doesn't want to show, He doesn't want to just show you His glory. He wants you to experience that glory. In fact, he, he has a plan that you will share in His glory. He wants you to share in that glory. What does this mean? 
what are we talking about here? here? I hear people say glory all the time, and i got to admit, there's times I go, what are they talking about? You hear people say, you need to give glory to God, or how do you glorify God, and what is the glory of God? And we use that word glory a lot, and, and it can describe so many different things. When I was in high school, I was a senior in college, we, after a, 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 a stuffed ballot box from the student body, the senior student body, it was it was um, controversial. By two votes, we we got to go to Washington D.C. It's either Florida or Washington, and some people I can't mention their names. I know them. I busted them out at my 25th year high school reunion. You stuffed the ballot box. Don't say anything, Tim. I'm telling everybody. You know. And so we got to go to Washington D.C., which I wanted to go there over Florida. I know it's crazy, but that's what I wanted to do. And so we go to the Capitol, we, we go to the Congress, where, or, this is 1975, okay? And we're doing our thing, and, 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 and then we go to something that I've never been before, the Smithsonian Institute. And if you, anybody ever been to the Smithsonian? Oh, it's an amazing place. It's got all the relics and all the, and it's not the copies of, of things, it's the actual thing that, you know, the Wright Brothers plane or, so, you know, stuff like that. And I'll never forget the time I'm walking through and, there's a sign that's pointing to this, this direction, and I catch my glimpse, the very first time, of a $250 million gem that's several inches of glass, thick glass, so you can't get to it. And I'll never forget just seeing how it sparkled and the splendor of the Hope Diamond. And just how it, just, it was so beautiful. And then it hit me. The way they made it look so beautiful is they put it behind black velvet. You know what I'm saying? How do you bring out something glorious? How do you bring something out? You, oh, you're already ahead of me, aren't you? Doggone it. How, did, how does God bring out His splendor? How does He bring out His awesomeness? Who He is? His power? His glory? How does He do that? By putting it up against something that's so bad and yucky and ugly. And dark. He puts his, he, he puts his glory, the backdrop of his glory is your problem, your diagnosis, your fear, your worry, the struggle, the mess. He says, that's what I'm going to use to bring out my glory, so I'm going to create this mess. Got him out of a mess. Israel, you're out of a mess. Yay, we're Egyptians. This is awesome. You know, everything is awesome. You know, they're singing. They're excited. You know, and then where are we going? I don't like this. I don't like this at all. This doesn't look good. Why did I do this? Why don't we go back to Egypt? Moses, take us back to Egypt. Are you crazy? You can hear somebody go, are you crazy? Go back to Egypt. We just got out of that mess. You know, but this is another mess, and I, I, I know that mess. I understand that mess. I'm comfortable in that mess. Now, nobody else here is as twisted as that, right? That you comfortable in that misery? You got used to it? God wants to bring you out of it? But He's going to bring you into some other stuff. Because He's not done with you. And why? One of the primary reasons is to bring His glory. He wants to show His glory to the world. He wants you to experience that glory. 
So instead of asking, and in the book by Robert Morgan, if you get a copy of this book, it's, it's really challenging. He says, instead of asking things like, why did this happen to me? Or how can I get out of this? Or what's the quickest way to solve this problem? He says, those might be, those are natural questions. Those are normal questions. But the best question, the best question, there's a better question he's saying you can ask. And that is, how can I glorify God in my situation? How can I experience the glory of God in this situation? He says, that's a better question to answer. And just think about it, folks. If we could just adjust the way we address our problems from why is this happening and what can I do to get out of it to God, how can I make you, how can I bring your glory in this? How can people see you working in this? How that would change the way we would view what we're going through. It would be a phenomenal. You wouldn't see the problem as an end. Remember the Israelites? Remember, was it Psalms 106 last week? I can't remember the no, on the notes. If you got an old note, you can find a trash bank, a trash can. I think it says something like, the Israel forgot your works, forgot what you did at the sea. And, you know, and he made a way that nobody else could see. In other words, maybe maybe if I were to address this like this and go, man, Lord, how can I glorify you? Maybe it would make me see my problems are really are what the Bible says. These temporary and light problems that I'm facing. Prepare for me for a glory that far outweighs them all. I'm interested in that. I don't want to be some miserable person. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get on Facebook and talk about some doomy thing. Be all blue like Eeyore. I mean, when you watch Winnie the Pooh, who do you want to be? I know Tigger gets on your nerves, but Eeyore gets on mine. I told somebody one time, you don't have to be Tigger, and you don't have to be Eeyore, just be Pooh. That's not what I meant, but but I did. Just be Winnie the Pooh, who had a little Eeyore in him and a little Tigger in him, and it was balanced really well. And he saw problems, not as obstacles, but as opportunities. Now, Jesus talks about bringing glory to God in bad situations. One time, time Jesus uh, was confronted by a man that was born blind. You remember this story? It's in the book of John. John talks a lot about this concept. And he says, and, and remember the parent uh, or the disciples say, Lord, is this guy blind because of the sins of the parents or the, the sins he committed? And Jesus says up here on the screen in verse three, look what he says. It is not the man's sins or his parents sins that made him blind. This man was born blind so that God's power could be shown in him. That's what the Bible says there in, in John nine, verse three. So it's he's saying this bad thing that you see is really God's going to use to bring out His glory. In John 11, we know the story about Lazarus. And you remember he's getting sick. And so the sisters send word. Martha and Mary send word to Jesus. Jesus, you got to come quickly because uh, Lazarus is sick. And you know we know you can help him. And he says, when he hears this, he says these words in verse 4, in John 11, verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. And that's very important to remember. How things really are going to end. You hear me? Whatever you're going through right now, it's going to end. 
It's going to end. Are you talking about the good stuff? Of course. I'm talking about the bad stuff too. It has a beginning and an end. And he says, this sickness will not end in death. Uh, Jesus, I beg to differ. He died. Uh, Tim, I beg to differ. It's not the end. Yeah, Lazarus died. And he said, it won't end in death. No, he says, it is for God's glory and that God's Son be glorified through it. He uses death. He uses something bad. He says God can be glorified even in that. John goes on to say in John chapter 12, everybody's welcoming him into the city and they're all going, Hosanna, Hosanna. And he starts getting troubled and he starts getting bothered. And he says these words in verses 27 and 28 of John 12. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say then? Father, save me from this hour. Notice the question. Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Jesus says, I'm not asking how to get out of it. I'm not asking, how can we solve it real quick? I'm going to ask, how can I glorify God in this? And what's the Father's response? He says, "It says, Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Wait a minute. What are you saying? I'm going to glorify my name and I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. I'm going to glorify, I'm going to glorify myself, my name. People are going to see and experience my glory at a cross and in a tomb and when it's empty. And then he's going to do it through every follower. Every time they hit a brick wall. Or every time they have a setback. Every time they have something tragic happen. Watch my glory. Because it's set up perfect for moments like that. If you've got a lot of junk going on, ooh, you lucky person! You know how fortunate you are to show the glory of God? You better than anybody! So don't feel sorry for yourself. Start feeling for the glory of God. Watch it appear. Watch it come. And watch it deliver you. See, I know we can experience and see God's glory in other ways, okay? I think John 1 says something like this. Uh, we have seen His glory in the one and only Son. You remember that song? We have seen His glory in the one and only Son. You look at Jesus, you see who God is, His glory. And I know that when we read about Jesus and we think about Jesus, we're going we're gonna to experience and see the glory of God there. You know, um, there's another way you might see God's glory, and that is like David did in Psalm 63. I've seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and glory. My lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life. Last uh, night, last night, we're having a Devo. And it's windy. Wind's coming off the lake. Not everybody brought chairs. You know, they, they, so they had to stand. I know it was kind of cold and stuff. And we had this fire. Scott brought a bunch of wood. And we, and we had a pile of a fire going. 
And we start singing. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, okay, you know, it's been a, I've been laying around watching a little football, kicking back with the guys. And then he starts, we start singing some songs. And all of a sudden, I'm just feeling something. What is it I'm experiencing? I felt it the first, first night of the devotional. I'm watching men different ages singing. I'm watching dads and sons singing together. I'm watching old men, 70s, and they're, you know, I got Bob Hawkins, I've got Bob Stanford and Willie Dale coming to the men's retreat, freezing. What was your excuse, guy, for not coming? These guys are sitting there and they're singing, and I am so grateful for that example. So grateful. Going, look at those guys. Now they've got layers and layers of clothes on, you can barely tell who they are, but it's so awesome. <laughs> and we're singing. And I'm watching them sing right along with Levi or, or Trenton, you know, and, or, and I'm watching, I'm watching the Bateman boys, you know, some, sometimes they get a little distracted, but then they kind of get into, th- get into it, you know, they're out there throwing the rocks. And what's that? What we're singing? What are we singing now? Okay, well, let me throw one more rock, you know. And it, but it's like I'm and I'm experiencing the presence of God, hearing these old guys and these young guys, new guys, young men, want to be in the presence of God. And we're singing these songs that I've sung a million times and never felt the presence of God like that. What happened? What was the fire, Scott? Thanks for the wood. Is that what it was? Thanks for starting, Mike. What was it? It was Willie and his funny little hat. Was that it? Come on. It was something happened. When two or more are gathered, Christ is in the midst of us. And we're singing. And I'm sitting there just overwhelmed. And I understand that you're going to feel that sometimes. You're going to go, man, I just feel the glory of God, the presence of God in those moments. And and great, that's wonderful. But you can also experience the presence of God or the power of God or the glory of God when you're in the middle of junk. You really, you know, you don't miss the opportunity while you're crying. Wipe the tears out of your eyes and look around because God is there. And He wants to display His glory. He wants you to understand His glory. Now you say, well, Tim, that's great. What are you talking about? What is His glory? Well, I looked at every verse the Bible said about glory glorifies. I read everybody and their mother and see what they said. And a lot of people are confused about what the glory of God is. Okay, You can come up with a lot of things. You know, glory can also mean honoring someone. You know, uh, Men going to battle. Soldiers going to battle for honor and glory. What is it? Well, it's accolades and praise. And you can say that. The Bible talks about that glory is the praise of God when we praise God, if we give glory to God. But I want us to think about three in particular, that really just leaped out at me. And you know, let's just follow along here. What is the glory of God? Well, the glory of God can refer to His presence. It can refer to where God is. Here in Ezekiel 1, this is in the message, Ezekiel is having a vision, and he sees someone sitting on the throne, and I'm, I'm amazed with Ezekiel. And he's looking, and this is what he says, brightness everywhere. The way, catch this, the way a rainbow springs out of the sky on a rainy day. That's what it's like. It turned out to be the glory of God. When I saw this, I fell to my knees, my face to the ground. What's he saying? I see someone, I have this vision, and I see someone on the throne, I can't quite make it out. But it's like a rainbow coming out of a storm. 
You got a storm going on? Got a rainy day? Yucky, drizzly? Oh, rainy, drippy day. God's presence is like a rainbow that's coming in the clouds. It's in the storm. God's presence is in your storm right now. You may not notice it, but He's there. And He's working. And God is at the Red Sea too. And He displays His, His glory in a cloud and in a fire. And the Bible talks about they, when they got across the Red Sea, they look at Mount Sinai and they can see the glorious, what translation says, the glorious presence of God on top of Mount Sinai. It looked like an all-consuming fire, like a volcano. So His glory can mean His presence. His glory also can mean, can refer to His mighty works. Not just where He is, but what He does. Exodus 15.11 says, Who among the gods is like You, Lord? Who is like You? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. And God displays not only His presence, His pillar and the cloud are there. He's present during this tough time, but He's working during this tough time. You see His awesome power. He splits the Red Sea in two. In Exodus 14, He says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, His chariots and His horsemen. Through what? Problems, problems, and problems. He said, I'm going to gain glory by dealing with this problem. I'm going to work in this problem. God wants to work in your stuff. You don't want Him just to show up. You want Him to work. And He is willing to work. And He works in a mighty way. So glory can refer to His mighty works. Another thing is the glory of God can refer to His qualities. Who He is. His attributes. Moses one time in Exodus 33 asked a crazy question. Look what He says here. Now show me Your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you can't see my face. For if you saw me, you'd croak. You'd die. What's he say? You want to see my glory, Moses? Well, my glory, yes, is who I am. And it's my presence. But it's also what I'm like. I'm merciful and compassionate. And He is merciful and compassionate at the Red Sea. These people who are complaining and whining at the Red Sea and want to go back to Egypt, why didn't He just send them the blank back? Huh? He doesn't, does He? His compassion and His mercy, He understands how hard it is to go through a problem and to trust the Lord. He understands how hard it is for you to do that too. And so here, when, when, you, when His glory appears at your problem, he, his, his, not only His presence is there and His mighty work is there and His power is there, but also He understands and He has compassion and love and understanding and He wants to help you with that. I find that just so reassuring. Now, let me show you a couple of verses. I don't know if they're on PowerPoint. I'm hoping they will be. Let's see. You got Psalms 115, verse 1, by any chance? Maybe not. Here's what it says. It's not, on the, it's not uh, in, in your notes, but it's in the Bible. 
It says this, Not for our sake, God. No, not for our sake, but for your sake's name, show your glory. The psalmist is saying, glory doesn't belong to me. Listen to me. It's not about you. It's not about me. A lot of churches make it about their preacher and about all these people and what we're doing and look at us. It's not about you. It's not about you. It involves you. It involves me. But it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about bringing honor and glory to this earth through you and I. So God is saying, glory, or the Bible says here, glory doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you, God. And in Psalms 96, verse 7, David said this, give to the Lord God, or I'm sorry, give to the Lord glory and power. He goes, you've got to give Him glory and power. And how do I do that? So how do I give God glory and power? And that's what I'm going to try to do here in the next few minutes here, is explain. Now we know what God's glory is. Well, how do I bring glory to my tough stuff? How do I bring glory to God when it gets hard? Number one, I give glory to God by including Him everywhere in my life. If His presence is His glory, then I want His presence present in my life. And I want it everywhere. I want it everywhere. Whatever I'm doing, look at the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 10. It's a passage we've used, overused. Whatever you do, do it all for the of God. Do it for the glory of God. You said to show His glory, to honor God. Yes, but if you're going to do something, do it with His glory involved, His presence involved, His power involved. Do it with His character involved, remembering how He feels about you, how He loves you, and cares. I really enjoyed Andy's. Lord's Supper. And he, you know, I'm thinking, where's he going with this? And finally, he just ties it perfectly. We don't deserve it. Think about that. But also think about how greatly loved you are. I put him everywhere. I put his love everywhere, his presence everywhere. I, I, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I'm bringing his presence. That means in my family, my job, my leisure, my money, my plans, my body, my motives, of course, my morals. Yes, absolutely. But also my fears, also my worries, also my hurts. And when I'm discouraged, listen, if you're discouraged, and I know some of you are, the weather's changed. Time has changed. You've been set up to be depressed. I think they ought to call the day after you the time changed Eeyore Day and give us a day off. Because <laughs> I just read an article this morning about how weather and the time change messes with us. You say, Tim, I was discouraged long before. Now, it didn't help, but I was discouraged. If you are discouraged, I want, to, I want you to understand something. If you're really discouraged right now, You really want to bring God in that. You want to have Him just soak in the whole, every nook and cranny of your problem. Don't hold any of it back. I mean, if if you're discouraged, if you're stressed out, 
let me tell you, don't go to the bar. Don't go to the refrigerator. Don't go to the computer. Don't go to your cell phone. Get to God. Go to God and get Him in there before that movie makes you forget your problem or that drink makes you forget that problem or that drug makes you forget that problem because God wants you to deal with it. And He's better than any drug, better than any nicotine fit, better than any alcohol, any pill. Why? Why would I want to bring God's presence? Because wherever God is present, you're going to find peace and security. You always find them there. God is not a God of disorder, the Bible says. But He led him to that. Yeah, life takes care of us. He leads us to a life that makes it all crazy. But He brings order and security and peace into the craziest situations. I don't know how many times I've been sitting around, I've been putting in a windshield, everybody's cussing like sailors. What do you do, Tim? I put in glass and I preach. All of a sudden, the situation just changes. Well, that's wonderful. God be the glory. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I were talking about this at church one time. Well, which, which effing church are you talking about? Because that's what you were using a minute ago. I didn't say the word, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, what happened to you? God got brought in and it changed everything. And you look at people like that and go, look at them, the hypocrites. Well, what about you and me? We bring God into it. Do we change? You know what? I got a feeling for me, and I can only say this for me, and talk about my hypocrisy. Whenever I'm bent out of shape and busted and stressed out and ready to throw in the towel, and I think I've brought God's presence in, I have not. Because if I bring Him in, I will find peace and security. He says somewhere in James, you find disorder, but with God you find peace. You get peace in your life. Look at what the Bible says here in Psalms 34. The Lord is close to those who suffer disappointment. He saves. Listen to this. He promises this. He saves those who are discouraged. You discouraged? He promises to save you. Well, let me tell you, it's hard for God to save you if you're not trying to reach and get a little closer to Him. Come on, Tim, reach. Well, you're just going to come and do it. I've talked to lifeguards, talk about when they're trying to save people in the water, they fight them. And if you're not careful, you'll drown the lifeguard too. And they're always telling them as they're treading water, calm down, calm down, just relax, calm down, I'll get, I'll save you. And how many times God's tried to say that same thing to me? Tim, would you just calm down? I can save you here. And I'm fighting back, fighting back. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. Well, my glory involves a certain way. And it's my will, Tim, not yours. It has to be done here. Psalm 73. But as for me, God's presence is all I need. Last night, we're getting ready to do a devotional. All that I need is you. Jesus, all that I need is You. From early in the morning till late at night, all that I need is You. And that's based on this verse right here. I couldn't help but sit there and think about, oh no, I need money, and I need security, and I need people, and I need this, and I need this. And God's going, Tim, all you need is Me. 
If I had this going on, then things would be better. No, Tim, if you had me going on, it'll get better. All you need is, all I need is God's presence. That's His glory, folks. That's for me. God's presence is all I need. I have made the sovereign Lord, He said, my shelter. He's my refuge. He's where I go when things get bad. I go to His shelter. I go to Him for refuge. And what happens? And I declare all the things you have done. I end up glorifying you when I do that. I bring glory to you. So I give God glory by including Him everywhere in my life. Second thing, I give glory to God when He's active in my life. Now we can talk about this later. Is God active at the Red Sea? You shake your heads this way. Yeah, He's active. Yeah. Is he active with the Israelites? Is he active with Pharaoh? He's active with all of them. I just want to make sure his activity is a lot better than what the Egyptians got, okay? And he says here, it says here uh, in, in uh, Robert Morgan's book, in the Red Sea Rules, here let me read you just a little statement here. He says, God is glorified when enemies are defeated. God is glorified when people, when his people are delivered. When God is active, God is glorified if He has to come down on me or lift me up. He will be glorified. I just want to ask you, what kind of activity is God having in your life? How active is He being in your life? He says, here's what the Bible says in Psalms 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God says, and you call out to me on the day of trouble. Let me work, and I'll I'll deliver you. See, the Egyptians didn't call out to God, but His glory was displayed. The Israelites cried out to God. We're going to talk about that in this series. They're not just doing a little quiet time prayer. They're pleading and begging God to do something, and do something fast. And when you call out to God in trouble, He's going to deliver you, and you will glorify Him. Let me ask you a question. This is this uh, this is hard for me to ask us sometimes. I, I'm going to say it anyway. How active is God? Is He casually active or radically active? Is He just casually active like here and there? Well, I guess God's chosen that. He did not choose to work casually in your life. Is He working radically on your sin? Working radically with your habits? Working radically with your future, your plans? Or is it a casual thing? I'll call on you when I really need you. But stay out of the way the rest of the time. Is God's glory displayed not only in my praise, but in my progress? Can people see God working? Or they just see the same kind of life they've got? Nothing really changes. Nothing really goes forward. You see, when other people see God working and He's active in my life, it brings attention and focus to what God can do in theirs. It brings glory. It offers them incredible hope. You mean God can do that with me too? Yes, He can. Look at the Bible says here, a righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He said, as a righteous person, I'm going to have trouble, but 
there's evidence that God is working. He delivers them from all of them. I don't know how many times, you know, I'll hear somebody, uh, they'll, they'll talk, maybe somebody will say this, and go, man, you used to smoke like a chimney. You used to cuss like a sailor. You used to drink like a fish. What happened? What's your secret? And I've always thought what a great response would be. Well, the re- I'll tell you the reason uh, for this. I'm not a chimney. I'm not a fish. And I'm not a sailor. I'm a disciple. And because of that, I'm changing. I get to experience God's work in my life. That resurrection power. I don't know what you're facing. you got something you're facing. You say, well, I've tried to change it before. I've tried. That's okay. Listen, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I've tried to change stuff before, too. But you bring God's power into it. Let God change it. And it's a different result. Totally different result. You don't think the Israelites could build boats and bridges? They could have built some boats and bridges. They could have built some boats and got out of there. People wouldn't have got them. Got them where they needed to go. No, it took God's help, God's work. And I just want, I just want to just challenge you this morning to, to, to pray and ask and beg God to be active, radically active, not casual. Well, I just want Him to clean me up a little bit. No, I want Him to change me. Completely overhaul me. I want to experience Him working in my life like that. And when you do, you experience the glory of God. Number three, I bring glory to God through godly character. Nothing destroys your example like ungodly care and inconsistency and hypocrisy. It does it. It hurts it hurts us. Hypocrisy hypocrisy especially. Inconsistency, not really, because people can tell the difference between inconsistency and hypocrisy. You can, can't you? Of course. But I bring the glory of God out through godly character by imitating His character. Because that's what His glory includes. His character. His traits. First Peter, here's a close disciple of Jesus, says, Dear friends, don't be bewildered or surprised when you go through the fiery trials ahead. For this is no strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. Instead, be really glad. I hate those three words in that passage. Be really glad? Yeah, be really glad. Why would I want to be really glad? Well, let me answer. Because these trials, Tim, will make you partners with Christ in His suffering. And afterwards, what do you mean afterwards? Afterwards! What do you mean afterwards? The trouble you're in is not the end. Let me say it again. The trouble you're in is not the end. You understand? It's not that at all. Something's going to happen afterwards. You'll have the wonderful joy of sharing His glory. Experiencing His glory. And that coming day when it will be displayed. Be happy if you're cursed and insulted for being a Christian. For when that happens, listen to this. The Spirit of God will come upon you with great glory. Radical glory. Not casual. And he goes on down verse four, uh, verse 19. So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right. And trust yourself to the God who made you, for He'll never fail you. What's your most common response when things go bad? 
Ask yourself that. If your common response, a lot of times my common response is what the world does. Get mad, bitter, bothered, worried, want to quit, get discouraged. That's what the world does. What's Peter say? Oh, you need to choose to really be glad. What? Tim, be glad. Why? Because the glory of God is present. It is present in your problem right now. And if you're glad, you won't be grumbling and complaining like everybody else. Instead, you're going to be, instead of, and you're not going to be asking God, get me out of it. Or help me solve this as quick as possible. You're going to start asking, God, how can I experience your glory and glorify you while I'm in it? In other words, be optimistic and be glad and keep on doing the right thing. Keep on being godly. When somebody's messing with you and messed you up, you choose to still be godly even if you don't want to be. You do the right thing. Keep doing the right thing because it's going to bring glory to your situation. You know, one time Jesus told Peter, I thought, Peter, what a crazy... Where'd you get this strategy from? Well, you remember one time Jesus was talking to Peter. He was discouraged, remember? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He says to him, oh, you're rubbing it in. He's not trying to rub it in. He's trying to rub it out. He's trying to get it behind him. He's saying, no, no, Peter, I want you to take care of my people. Follow me, follow me. One of these days, somebody's going to dress you and well, and you won't want to be dressed and take you where you don't want to go. And the Bible says there, and it says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death he would have to glorify God. I never saw that before. And when you study these words, you find all these passages, you go, wow. So Peter's going to glorify God when he dies. He's telling Peter, you're going to stay faithful to me. But when you get crucified, and by the way, Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't think he was worthy. But I'll tell you what he did. He brought glory. He brought glory to his God. And somebody, executioner, a witness, is experiencing that glory along with him. Look at this, what he says in 1 Peter 2. People who don't believe are living all around you. They may say that you're doing wrong. Sounds like a bad day, doesn't it? You had anybody rag on you? Say false things about you? Lie about you? Gossip about you at work? Well, some people may say something wrong. He says it may happen. So live such good lives that they may see the good you do and they will give glory to God on the day He comes. How in the world is a non-believer going to give glory to God when He comes? Well, all I can figure is He gives glory to God because you decided to do it first. You decided, I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to keep doing the right thing and I try to get out of it. I'm going to face it. I'm going to endure it. I'm going to wait for God to work and I'm just going to, I'm going to handle this differently than the rest of the bozos at work. The rest of the goofballs around me. The unbelievers around me. I'm going to do this the way God wants me to. So, try to land this thing now. I got some questions here. I want you to ask yourself a personal question. How much glory do you want to experience from God? How much of His presence and power and His love, His attributes, do you want to experience from God? Ask yourself this next question. This week, how do I intend to bring glory to God? 
starting after the song's over, and Alan says, have a great day, and it's still raining and lucky outside, as you're walking out, already the effects, the emotional effects of today's service is going to start wearing off. So you got to ask yourself, you got to keep yourself motivated. How do I intend to glorify God with the junk I've got, I'm taking out with me this morning? What's your plan? How much glory do you plan to bring to Him when you suffer? What kind of glory? You see, I, I really, when you read a passage, you look at it and you go, oh man, why is that there? You know, he doesn't really talk about the Israelites that much. He says, I'm going to show my glory through Pharaoh and the chariots and his army. You read some of the translations. He says to Moses, you know, Pharaoh's going to be stubborn. He's going to follow you right down into the Red Sea. And when he does, I'm going to show him my glory. And what did that look like? <clears throat> Dead. Destroyed. Destruction. The elements obey him and his enemies are defeated. And I couldn't help but think, I don't want to show God's glory like that. Do you? I don't want to... God to go, okay, Tim, because you're so stubborn and because you won't listen, I'm going to have to use you as an object lesson, but it's not, it's going to be a, a good object lesson of something bad. Is that what it's going to take? I mean, which, how you, what, what do you want to do? You want to show God's glory like the Israelites who just obeyed and waited? Or do you want to be like the Egyptians who kind of did their own thing? I mean, they came to the Red Sea not expecting. They had their own expectations. They came to take. They came to take the glory of God. God said, no, the Israelites are here to give that glory. Which one will it be for you? There's a card in your bulletin. And in that card is a response card. You can write a prayer if you like or a response. And you can say, Tim, I didn't like you saying what you said. That's okay. I can take it. Really, the response card is for prayer. I hope you'll think about what you need prayer with. Because God wants His glory in your life. He really does. Maybe there's something that's keeping that from taking place and you've never really talked about it, really ever prayed much about it. Why not put that on a card and let this, let our team of people that pray, they don't call each other and go, did you know what so-and-so put on their card? They don't do that. They said, Lord, you saw what she put on her card. You saw what he put on the card. And they're asking for some help. And they talk to God about it, not to everybody else. That's the truth. That's what we do. Why not tap into the power of prayer? Or maybe there's a decision you, you, you know you need to make. You're going, I'm making a decision and I'm going to write it down. I'm like a contract. I'm writing it down. I'm going to initial it. I'm going to bring glory to God in my, I'm going to quit feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to quit complaining and whining and I'm going to start bringing glory to God. I'm not going to ask God, get me out of it, get me out of it. I'm going to say, God, how can I glorify you in it? We're going to give you a chance to fill out that card while we sing a song and then we'll sing another song and collect all those cards as well as our regular contribution. If you're a guest today, we want you to know you're under no obligation to give to this church. We're not asking you for your money. We're trying to give you something. We're not trying to get something out of you. You know, get something from you.
But if you're a member, we can sure use your help, okay? Let's make sure we do that. Let's give God the glory with our finances. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for the rules in the Red Sea, Lord. Man, they're powerful. Father, I think about just all the times I whine. I'm sure some of us here do. We think about this week catching ourselves talking, not sounding like a believer, but sounding like an unbeliever. Sounding more like an Egyptian than an Israelite, Father. I don't know. I just ask, we ask, would you help us to remember that you are with us when we when it's going good and you're with us uh, when it isn't going so hot. Father, help us like Job who said, should I just accept the good from God and not when it's bad? Help us accept the good and the bad and honor you either way. Help us, Father, some of us here need to adjust our behavior. We need to be kinder, more merciful, more forgiving, more patient. God, help us be that so people can see your glory and experience your love, your your attributes and your character through us imitating that character. And Lord, I pray this morning, you know, that... uh, that a lot of us prayed for people that are not here or not even with you right now. Would you, through your Holy Spirit, conjure up, prick their heart, stir them of thoughts of you, of how good you are, and that how you still believe in them and you still want to help them. Father, I know there's some people here that are discouraged. They're discouraged in their ministry. They're discouraged in their marriage. They're discouraged at work. And and uh, when you add a drizzly day like today, it doesn't help. And Lord, we just ask. We ask you encourage us through your Holy Spirit. And that we open up our hearts to let you work, to let you peer into our hearts and see and ask you and anticipate your response to the things that we're struggling with. Father, um, would you just help us give you time to work and, and be calm? And know you're gonna, you're gonna come through. Cause you promise to the righteous who are in trouble, you deliver them, you deliver us from them all. We ask this, Father, we praise you, and we pray to give you the glory. In Christ's name, Amen.